That's a tough one. Tennessee Falls 62-55 in the Sweet 16 to the ninth-seeded Florida Atlantic University Owls. What went wrong? Where do you go from here? How you feeling here on this Friday? It'll be a tough show, but uh, we'll get through it. This is Locked on Balls. You are Locked on Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to it. Locked on Balls here on a Friday. I'm your host, Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys for tuning in as you're on your way to work. Maybe you're working out. Maybe you're playing hooky. It was a late night last night. I do understand that. Tennessee Falls, 62-55, and the Sweet 16 to Florida Atlantic. We're going to recap that. We're going to go over the game stats and all that that stuff and, and find out exactly why uh, Tennessee lost in segment two. We'll get into some spring football. Got Chris Gordy coming on in segment number three. But here to start some things out as, as we uh, thank you for making Lockdown Balls your first listen and subscribing to Lockdown Balls YouTube channel. We're just going to talk about some things, right? Um, we're just going to kind of go through the emotions and all that. I understand uh, if you're listening, you know, I, I love the audience here at Lockdown Balls. You guys allow me to do this for a living and I can't thank you enough. But if you're watching and listening to Lockdown Balls, you're you're a diehard Tennessee fan, right? Um, you are, uh, you know, not just a casual fan. If you're listening to an everyday podcast on a specific team, you are a big time fan of that team. So I understand you're probably you're probably hurting here on a Friday morning. Probably hurting. Probably tired. Probably hurting. Uh, probably a little pissed off. Um, and all that's okay, right? I mean, you make a run in the NCAA tournaments, and for it to come up short. You know, there, there's it, it's okay to be upset. Um, it's especially okay to be upset when you look at the path to what was going to be Tennessee's only only its second Elite Eight appearance in program history. That's cause for frustration as well. And no one was putting the cart before the horse. And certainly, I, I wasn't trying to do that this week leading up to this game. If anybody thinks I did, I do apologize. Um, FAU is a good ball club. They deserve to be in the Sweet 16, uh, mid major by name only. Man, they, they, they won 33 games, won Conference USA regular season, championship titles, all that type of stuff. Um, they're a good ball club, and, and we knew that they like to get out there and shoot and shoot and shoot that three and run, 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 and really try to wear teams down. And um, I thought Tennessee did a really nice job early on kind of settling in. You had Uros good on Tennessee's first possession. Uh, you FAU responded with a three-pointer. Then Josiah Jordan-James responded with a three-pointer. Tennessee did a nice job settling in. A 15-2 run and a 50, a 15-2 run in the second half. I mean, that's all she wrote. That's kind of what I said on the uh, on the uh, Locked On Now post game, and that was the big difference in this game. Um, again, we'll get into the stats and some more of this from this specific game in segment number two. But at the end of the day, my fear. Um, and it's deserved. I mean, I get it. But, like, at the end of the day, you're not going to remember, you know, five, six years from now, likely, that Zakai Ziegler was gone for the tournament. You're not going to remember that you missed Josiah Jordan-James for, you know, games on on end throughout the season. You're not going to remember that Julian Phillips missed uh, five or six straight games. You're not going to remember that Tyreek Key and Santiago Veskey missed some time here and there. But this team, golly, really was just never healthy, to be completely honest with you. You're not going to remember a lot. I didn't even think Uros missed, missed a game uh, earlier in the season. You're not going to remember that. You're just going to remember – that Tennessee lost to a nine seed in the Sweet 16. You know, that's why teams are seeded, right? Um, This was a 
This is an upset victory for Florida Atlantic. Tennessee was favored by, I think, four and a half points entering the game, I, I believe. I think that's at least the last time I checked it. This was an upset. Um, and, and, and you're going to remember that the path was 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 sitting there, you know, just, just for the taking because Farley Dickinson knocked off the one seed Purdue. Um, you know, got, got the one seed out of this region, okay? Because Tennessee got rid of Louisiana – when it beat Duke, it meant that it was facing off between either a nine seed or a 16 seed to get to the Elite Eight. And all teams are deserving to get to the tournament. So, like, I'm not saying they weren't deserving, but again, when you just look at it like that, black and white from a bracket perspective, I mean, what, what, um, what an unfortunate, unfortunate loss and one that should sting because Tennessee was the bigger team. Tennessee was the more athletic team. Tennessee plays in a power five, one of the best conferences in the country. And again, I'm not trying to disrespect or take anything away from FAU because that is a good ball club and they deserve to win last night. They deserve to win last night. Rick Barnes said as much uh, post game. They deserve to win last night from the way that game transpired. But when you look at it through those lens, that's what's going to be the lasting impression of this team. And that's going to be really disappointing. It's going to be really disappointing because again, coming into the tournament, I can't speak for everybody here, but I had hardly any expectations for Tennessee. Why? Well, and I think this is fair and justified. Tennessee was five and seven entering the tournament since February first. Five and seven since February first entering the NCAA tournament. Tennessee was not playing well without Sakai Ziegler. The crack, the chinks in the armor for the perimeter defense. I mean, that was apparent without Sakai Ziegler in this. Um, Tennessee was has been hot and cold. All year long, we'll win some great games. Kansas, Texas, Alabama. And then you'll just drop some games where you should have. Missouri a couple times, Vanderbilt. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so I didn't have a whole lot of confidence in this team, knowing that at its best, this team can hang and beat anybody in the country, but also it can play down to the level of competition night in and night out. And so we just don't know. And I've said this countless times, I feel like. We just didn't know which Tennessee team you're going to get on one night in the tournament. I mean, take Louisiana, for an example. Santiago Vesky was held to three points in that game. Tennessee won by three. You come back, Santiago Vesky was the main storyline in the first half against Duke. Oh, and you turned the ball over 18 times against Louisiana, and then you turn it over just nine times against Duke. You just don't know exactly what Tennessee team you're going to get. So, again, you're a four seed. There's not a lot of expectations for this team entering the tournament because of where you are in the injury situation. You make it to your seed line in the bracket. The you know four seeds are supposed to make it to the Sweet 16 if you just go on seed alone. I know that's not how it all works out, but again, if you look at it that way, you made it to the Sweet 16. So you know I made the comment earlier in the week that it's almost like house money for Tennessee, but recognizing that can change because of who your opponent is. And again, FAU, good ball club, yada yada. I've said it a million times, but the fact remains: when you lose to a seed of a nine. When you're a four in the Sweet 16, that's a disappointment. So that's unfortunate. I understand the frustrations. I understand the anger here today. Um, buddy sent this to me. Somebody made this. I guess it's the Action Network. Somebody made this um, this graphic for me. Tennessee Volunteers as a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. Okay? As a top four seed, whether that be one, two, three, four. Lost in the Sweet 16 in 1981. Lost in the round of 32 in 1999. Lost in the Sweet 16 in 2000. Lost in the round of 32 in 2006. Lost in the Sweet 16 in 2008. Lost in the round of 32 
in 2018, loss in the Sweet 16 in 2019, loss in the round of 32 in 2022, loss in the Sweet 16 in 2023. A lot of those are here recent. From 2018 on, you have two losses in the round of 32 and two losses in the Sweet 16. It's unfortunate. Again, because getting if you if I would have told you Tennessee would make it to the Sweet 16 on Selection Sunday, you're probably like, okay, yeah, I'm feeling good about this. Or after the loss to Missouri in the conference tournament, if I said Tennessee was going to the Sweet 16, you're taking it 10 out of 10. So am I. Because I'm like, this team right now, Sweet 16, okay, second weekend, all right, sign me up. But again, it changes because... Because you lost to a nine seed. It just is what it is. And I think FAU should have been ranked higher or seeded higher. Um, I understand the frustrations. I understand the anger. And there's going to be a portion of this fan base that continues to blame this on Rick Barnes, blame this on Rick Barnes, blame this on Rick Barnes. And, and again, I'm not – do it. I mean, I'm, that, that, that's fair. That is fair. That's absolutely fair. Tournament success or lack thereof is absolutely fair to be reflected on the head coach. That's fine. Um. I just, it's a shame because I, this team getting the Sweet 16 should have been uh, different feelings at the end of the year, if you know what I'm saying. Should have been celebrated because these guys are good. These guys are fun to watch. They're good. They're good kids. I know that doesn't make them good basketball players. Um, it's just unfortunate because we might have seen the last of Santiago Vespi, Josiah Jordan James, Olivier Kumwal, Uros Plovsic. We have definitely seen the last of Tyree Key. And I think the majority of those guys, I say we might have because they all have that COVID year. I, I doubt any of them are going to use it at, at this time. That can always change. Um, but it just kind of sucks. Losing always sucks. I get that. But the storylines and the narratives coming out of this game is what kind of sucks because, again, second weekend with that team that lost to Missouri in the SEC tournament, that team that was playing like that without Zakai Ziegler, you're saying they get to the, to the second round? Man, you take that. But anyway, here we are. Another loss. In the NCAA tournament, this time it was in the Sweet 16, but Tennessee shot 33% from the field. We'll have more on that. How Tennessee lost this game, I know you guys are just dying to hear that segment, but I do want to say some things on on certain uh, points in this ball game and see if you guys agree. So uh, that is coming up next, and you can hear it all right here on Locked on Vols. But, hey, I want to tell you, remind you guys about our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. All right, the tournament's it's still going on. Tennessee's not in it, but it's still going on, and you can still win some money. There's no better place to do it than at FanDuel. It's America's number one sports book. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. All you need to do is go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, sign up today, claim your no sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line, point spreads, to which team will be cutting down the net. All on the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Don't miss your shot at no sweat first bet up to $1,000. When you join FanDuel today, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. All right, guys, welcome back into it. Friday's show, we're talking Tennessee's loss in the Sweet 16 to Florida Atlantic. Uh, we will talk football in segment number three. Got Chris Gordy locked on SEC going to come over, and we're going to talk a little Tennessee football, so that'll be fun. We can get a change of pace, and now we can just focus solely on Tennessee football uh, in spring practice because, hey, there, there's a lot to look forward to and a lot to watch and a lot of questions to ask about Tennessee football for sure. Uh, Tennessee controlled this game in the first half. Man, I mentioned the uh, the start. I thought Tennessee started really, really well. 
It was important. That was one of my keys of the game. Tennessee had to settle in. You couldn't let FAU dictate the pace of play. And um, Uros had a had a, had a had a put up, not a put back, but a put up there at the block on the first possession. FAU counter with a three pointer. Tennessee counter with a Josiah Jordan James three pointer. Tennessee went on a six zero run at the thirteen ish minute mark to make it sixteen to eight. Tennessee led by as many or Tennessee led for eighteen minutes and thirty five seconds in this game. And then there was a minimal scoring drought there with about 116 left in the first half. Um, actually, there was a big-time scoring drought for, <laughs> for all parties involved. So this is how they ended the first half. Vols ended the first half 1 of 7, 317 scoring drought. 3 minutes, 17 seconds. FAU ends the first half 0 for 4, a 242 scoring drought. And the halftime score was 27-22 in favor of Tennessee. But Uros Plavsic was huge for Tennessee in that first half. He had eight points. Josiah George James had seven points in that first half. Santiago Vescovi only had three points, which is unfortunate. Tennessee shot only 31% from the from the field in the first half of play, but we're still leading this game. FAU only shot 38%. Both teams only made three three-pointers. FAU had nine turnovers compared to only two turnovers from Tennessee in the first half. And uh, we're out rebounding Tennessee, however, 22 to 17 at the end of the first half. So, but Tennessee was still leading, and Santiago Vespi only had three points, and Tennessee was being out rebounded. Okay, so things were going wrong for Tennessee, but you still had a lead. Well, you go in there to the second half, Santiago Vespi, boom, good three pointer on the first possession. Vespi again, boom, three pointer on the third possession. Tennessee goes up 33 to 26. And then here comes FAU starting to chip it away after a little a, a little tiny scoring drought of 245 where Tennessee led 39-33. Um, you had FAU that came up. Uh, Vols had a scoring drought of 223 over the last four. That allowed FAU to cut it within four at the 10-minute mark. And then FAU takes the lead 41-39, 931 left in this ball game. That is when FAU took its first lead of the second half, and since early in that basketball game. FAU went on a 12-2 run. FAU went on a 15-2 run is what it ended up at. Over four minutes and 45 seconds of game action, took a 48-41 lead there with uh, less than 10 minutes left in the ball game. It got to 51-41, a 10-point lead for FAU with 6.44 left uh, in this ballgame, and that's when I started taking notes. Um, you know, Tennessee ended up losing 62-55 to in this game. And and I'll tell you again, and I tweeted some, and, and you know, we had that review on the on the CBS telecast, or on the TBS, excuse me, telecast, when they called Uros Plovsic for a flagrant foul. And what was shown on the television screen was just not and keep in mind at that point in the game too I think the foul differential I, I might be wrong but I believe at that point in the game the foul differential was like eight to three it was something ridiculous it ended up not being that bad at the end of the game when you go back and look at the second half but still at that point in game the foul differential was obscure and then the the play they're showing on the television screen from the from the TBS uh, crew was just such a bogus call a bogus call a bogus call it turns out it turns out, myself even, along with you know thousands of other Tennessee fans, are tweeting, what the heck's going on? Maybe that narrative from Jay Billis is, is, is true, right? Um, turns out they, they they showed the correct play, and, and boy, oh boy, what, what, a, what, a, what a stupid foul by Uros. I mean, what the hell are you doing? I mean, that's pathetic. That's how people get hurt. That was, that was awful, but I did want to say that um, because that was, that was a horrible play. But nonetheless, that was in the middle of that big old scoring run for FAU. 15-2 to was that run. So 
sure, I wasn't a huge fan of how the game was called in the second half. Um, but at the end of the day, you shot 33% from the field. At the end of the day, you were out-rebounded. It turns out it wasn't by that much, but you were out-rebounded by 440 to 36. You were being out-rebounded one point in time in the second half by 10 rebounds. Like what Tennessee, you are the bigger basketball team. What are you doing? At the end of the day, you shot 33% from the field. At the end of the day, you were out-rebounded by FAU. At the end of the day, you made only 7 of 12 free throws. At the end of the day, you allowed for 12 offensive rebounds for FAU. Tennessee got 17, and that's great on the offensive end, but you allowed for 14 points to be scored off second-chance opportunities and 12 offensive rebounds from FAU. You had a complete complete no-show from Olivier Comois, who ended up scoring six points, but he was two of nine, and he was held scoreless well into the second half. You had a complete no-show from Julian Phillips. It's frustrating, man. I think that guy's got all the talent in the world, but and he's likely to go to the NBA. We'll have to keep tabs on that, and I'm sure he'll go through the process and go to the combine and all that stuff like you're allowed to do now, um, or whatever the case is, go through the process. Um, and I, 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 He's very, very talented, but Man, I mean, what a disappointment here in this game in the NCAA tournaments. Julian Phillips, 0 for 2 from the field. No points, two shot attempts all night long in 12 minutes, and one board. Not great whatsoever. Toby Awaka didn't play in this game hardly at all. He was a non-factor. Vescovy, he had three points at half. He came out and had those two early three-pointers in the second half. And then that's it. I mean, he was a non-factor in this game. Three of nine from three, three of 11 from the field. Josiah Jordan-James, I mean, he didn't have the best night shooting, three of 11, but he had 10 points. He had some big shots in this game. Again, Plofsic was huge in the first half, but he was held scoreless in the second half. Four of 10 overall in this game. Um, you had Tyreek Key, who didn't shoot the ball well whatsoever. At least he was shooting, though. That was good. Earlier in the season, he wouldn't shoot. Two of nine, finishing with five points. At the end of the day, you got out-rebounded by FAU. I just keep saying that. Like, what are you doing? And you shot 33% from the field. Tennessee's defense was incredible. Tennessee's defense might be the best defense we see from a Tennessee team. Maybe ever. I don't know. I mean, it was a really good defense. Don't get me wrong. A really good defense. But when you shoot 33% from the field in the Sweet 16, you knew that the season was always going to end, was always going to end for Tennessee on a poor shooting night. And that's what it was against the Owls in the Sweet 16. So I was not a fan of the way the game was called, especially in the second half. I wasn't. Um, but that's not why Tennessee lost this game. Tennessee lost this game because it got, it got pushed around on the boards and it shot 33% from the field. So um, that's it. That's it right there. You can close the book on this team. Uh, Santiago Vescovi is a, a good kid. It was fun to watch him. Just out Jordan James, a good kid. It's been fun to watch him. Olivier Cumwa, good kid. Very annoying how inconsistent he is. Great kid. Works so hard. Um, fun to watch Uros and his role on this team. Um, Tyreek Key, what he added to the scene this year. I mean, that's a good group of kids. You root for these guys because um, they're fun they're fun to root for. They're fun to watch. Um, but you close the book. It's over. 62-55, sweet 16 loss to Florida Atlantic University. I know a lot of you guys might be mad at Rick Barnes. That's fine. That's a conversation for another day. I already kind of went over in segment number one, the postseason lack of success for Tennessee as a program. Um, and we can talk about all that during the offseason. Um, but, man, it was uh, just a bad day to be really, really bad from the field. And Tennessee's, Tennessee's had some games since – 
uh, Zakai Ziegler, its point guard, has been out where I think the first two games, Tennessee scored 70 points without Zakai, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I'll have to go back and look, but uh, or maybe two of the first three games or whatever. But um, that wasn't it tonight. That wasn't it at all. How about we change the subject? How about we talk some football? We'll get into spring football practice, but um, we'll continue to monitor who's leaving, who's staying, Tennessee recruiting, um, all that and more uh, as we get into the offseason here. We'll, you can find all that here on Locked On Vols. We'll talk football coming up next right here on the show. Uh, but the uh, Built Bar Madness bracket, it is here. We know you have a favorite bar, Puff, and now it's your time to make it count. So go to Built BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. You know, I'll be voting for the, the uh, Cookies and Cream Bar, and if you want the Vols to win every single game that they're playing, whether it be basketball, football, whatever, baseball, you're going to be voting for that bar too. Support your team, support your bar or your puff, and when you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you're going to be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky locked-on listeners will get a free box of Bill. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Not only that, but one lucky Locked On fan will get a 12-month subscription to Built to have Built's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You got to try Built. Protein bar, 17 grams of protein, 100% real chocolate. It is good for you. What makes Built bars and puffs so good? Well, for starters, high in protein, low in sugar, Covered, like I said, 100% real chocolate. Run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or your puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March, so hop in and support your pick. Talk a lot of hoops here on a Friday, obviously, but Tennessee spring practice it is going on right now, and it's imperative if Tennessee wants to be a contender year in and year out in the Southeastern Conference, it's got to stack those those good seasons on good seasons on good seasons, obviously. Tennessee 10-win regular season, 11 wins overall. A win over Clemson in the Orange Bowl. And so what's in store for 2023? Got our guy Chris Gordy locked on SEC joining us. And and Chris, kind of kind of big outlook here. Um, you know, when you think about the Tennessee football team for this spring practice, what, what's some of the big things that uh, Josh Heupel, about said Vitello, we've been talking baseball so much off the air. <laughs> What does Josh Heupel need to kind of figure out? What are the main objectives for Tennessee here over the next month? Well, I mean, obviously a lot of the focus, you know, for at least the, the outside looking in is um, the, the quarterback spot and what Joe Milton is going to do. And, uh, you know, I like this quote this week where he said, I don't even watch the Orange Bowl anymore. That was in 2022. Let that game be. This is this is about 2023. And I thought that was a great perspective because – all me and what other people have been saying about it is, oh man, how good was he down the stretch of last year and looked so good in the Orange Bowl. So clearly that's just going to carry over. And I get it. Like, no, wipe that slate clean. He's got to go out there and earn the job. And look, we know he's going to be the starter, but I like that, you know, Josh is kind of saying, uh, no, but nothing's guaranteed. Nobody's locked in at starter and all that. Got to go earn it. But it, it starts with the O line. And, and the thing that I've noted, Eric, is just, you know they they were deep last year at posi- at positions. Obviously, we know wide receiver how you know how dominant that group was. But like year three of Hypel now, you start to see the depth, particularly on the lines and, and the offensive line. Particularly, we know how they've reworked it and brought in new guys. And I think that's going to be one of the great battles to watch throughout this spring and into the fall. You know, you lose Darnell Wright, but you got at least a lot of experience in those guys like Gerald Mincy and Jeremiah Crawford and Dane Davis. And now John Campbell comes in. Um, You know, I think a lot of people want to just pencil in Campbell at left tackle, but I've had several people say, don't count out Mincy. Like he could be that guy. So I think that's going to be one of the more fascinating spots to me. I know everybody wants to talk receiver and quarterback and all that, but uh, the offensive line, if you, if, if this can work out, you know, this, this group might be, 
dare I say, better than last year if they all click. Yeah, and that's that's saying a lot, obviously, because, uh, yeah, you bring back so much, but kind of how you started the conversation. I mean, you lose what should have been a Heisman finalist in Hendon Hooker. I mean, he's been phenomenal the last couple of years. So you lose so much. You lose likely a first-round pick in Darnell Wright. And you know, John Campbell, whether it's left tackle, whether it's right tackle, a lot of people are thinking that he's just going to slide on in, and that's that's probably likely going to be the case. But you, know, you also lose Jerome Carvin, um, a guy that's been pretty much a four-year starter for you at guard. Andre Carrick coming over from Texas, can he slide in there and solidify that? Or will it be one of these guys that's been on Tennessee's roster for a couple of years, like Ollie Lane or maybe Jackson Lampley? You know, we're just going to have to find out. When you do look at some of those flashy positions, you know, Dante Thornton coming over from Oregon, didn't do an awful lot at Oregon. He kind of blossomed there towards the end of his uh, Oregon Duck career. But he comes over to Tennessee, and, and, you know, if you play that slot position at Tennessee, man, that's the moneymaker spot. And he's practicing at slot right now, but also can bump outside and, you know, maybe Squirrel White can be the slot. You know, they'll, they'll figure that out in fall camp. But, you know, Dante Thornton's coming over. He's experienced. He's a two-year guy in college football. And I think that he's poised to be a guy that can maybe, you know, take that Cedric Tillman or that Jalen Hyatt-type leap here uh, this year for Tennessee. Yeah, and that's the big question is you lose Tillman and you lose Hyde. Who's going to be that guy to uh, to step up? I mean, we know that uh, Score White is going to play a big role this year. And, um, you know, Burr McCoy, you know, kind of out right now. It gives an opportunity for other guys to, to step up. I talked to somebody earlier this week who said Chaz Nimrod is a guy that, you know, has looked good so far, and they think, you know, he might be kind of the guy that uh, steps up and, and plays a lot and catches a lot of footballs this year. We know Ramel Keaton's been there for a while, and, you know, we like what we've seen in him. But, um, you know, outside of the explosiveness of Squirrel White, I've been told, you know, Dante Thornton, very athletic and a guy that could end up contributing to this team uh, this year. So it's a good problem to have. I mean, you, there's talent there. It's just who's going to be the guy. And, again, I, I don't think it's fair to hold any of these guys to the standard of Tillman and Hyatt. Yep. With the exception of maybe McCoy, when he gets back in there, you're talking about senior transfers, played a lot of football in a lot of different places. Yeah, I think I would turn to Brew McCoy and say, you better be one of our leaders this year at receiver. But um, I like the mix, man, and, and the competition should be good throughout the spring. Yeah, you look at the stats from last year, and it's like, damn, Brew McCoy had this many catches, this many yards. Felt like they never threw to him, you know? And um, I, I think he's going to be big in this offense. He was really good in year one. I mean, this is it's a unique offense to step into, and that's why – you know, Gerald Mincy never really got his footing, and he was kind of a part-time player last year. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to come over and it be just an impact starter in this offense. So I think that says a lot. Looking at defense now, and um, you know, Josh Hobble even said it Monday. It's like the next step for us as a team and defensively, we gotta be, we gotta get better in pass defense. We were better on third downs. We were better in the red zone. We were better in stats that count. And I wrote a column about this after the season. Like, look at that pass defense. It's atrocious, but. Look at where Tennessee's defense got better and like literally everything else. But looking at that secondary for Tennessee, they have so many returners. Um, you add Gabe Judy Lawley from BYU and, um, you know, play, played in the SEC a couple years ago as well at Vanderbilt. They just got to figure out kind of who's going where. And, and I do think that that's got to tighten up a little bit because a secondary that allows an opposing quarterback to throw for over 300 yards consistently, I, I, it's going to get you sooner or later when your offense has an off day. Yeah, and, and, you know, I look to, you know, guys like Warren Burrell and, and Kamal Haddon. Again, you mentioned, you know, uh, older guys and, and yeah. guys who, who have been around a while. And so, I, you know, I think was Burrell still kind of banged up right now? Um, yeah, so he tore his, uh, or, uh, uh, tore his labrum, broke his labrum, whatever that is, uh, week yeah. two. And so he's, he's got a red jersey on, but he'll be ready for fall camp. 
Yeah, so I, I feel good about him. And, and like you said, I think uh, Judy Lawley, a guy you know played at BYU, played at Vanderbilt, um, could come in and 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 maybe uh, play a role there. I mean that that was the big question for me, you know, with this Tennessee team last year. Um, you know, overall was the defense, but particularly the secondary. And then, of course, in the trenches, who was going to step up and, and get, you know, get big sacks out of, outside of Byron Young. Um, but, yeah, I, I maybe I feel a little bit better about the secondary going into this year, you know, just again because of the experience and, um, you know, guys like Jalen McCullough and Andre Tarantine and, and all these different pieces you have back there. Um, we'll see once they once they hit the uh, the field. But, um, yeah, I, they it was weird though, Eric. We saw spurts last year where the defense did look. I mean, that Kentucky game still haunts me to this day. I'm like, what if they could have gotten that defense uh, out there every week? It's, this would have been an undefeated team. But um, yeah, I, I just I have higher expectations, particularly in that secondary for this group uh, this coming year. Yep, uh, going to be a top ten pick. Will Levis, 98 yards passing against against Tennessee's <laughs> secondary. Uh, you know, at Neyland Stadium. And, you know, Tennessee played well against LSU. Now, Jaden Daniels had over 300 yards passing, but, I mean, Tennessee had the lead when they got off the bus that day. Um, yep. And so LSU was in a position where it had to throw a ton, but only 12 points, I believe, if my memory serves me correct. And they had a late touchdown there in the last couple of minutes of the game. So, yeah, there were points and times where Tennessee's defense really did step up. Bigger picture now, looking at that 2023 schedule. Um, I'm not giving you a, a win loss prediction, but like if I set the if I set the total at nine, and and I'll, I'll give you the schedule so you don't have to scramble here. You know you got you know, Virginia, which is a non conference game. Uh, of course, you got South Carolina, which is going to be home this year. You got A and M, which is going to be home this year. You're at Florida, at Alabama, at Kentucky. Those are big ones. If I set the total at nine, kind of what are you feeling here in spring practice? That's a good one. Um, you know, I'm, I appreciate you didn't go like eight and a half or nine and a half because I don't, you know, I, I would probably go right at nine. I mean, that look, let's be real, Eric. That, the expectation is they should be perfect 4 0 non conference. We could throw in Austin P and yep. UConn and, and UTSA. And UTSA is a pretty good program. They'll, yep. they'll, you know, jump up and bite you if you're not prepared. But uh, they should be a perfect 4 0 in those. And then from there, always go to the road trips at Florida, at Bama, at Kentucky, at Mizzou. Um, Alabama is going to be tough. You know, they are going to want the revenge factor from you beating them last year. And then, you know, the other three are all winnable. Obviously Kentucky's got a new quarterback. Um, you know, Missouri is still, they're good, but, but not great. And then Florida is absolutely in flux. I mean, they just had Anthony Richardson and couldn't win seven, eight games with him. So I think of those road trips, you know, the Alabama one is, is the one that, that I think is going to be tough, but I think those other three road trips are all winnable. And then of the home games, really, you know, the Georgia game obviously is, is the toughest one. But I think AM and South Carolina, I, you know, we'll see what they look like once they get come around. Is is Spencer Rattler gonna take his game to another level this year? Is Bobby Petrino gonna help the AM offense be a little bit more balanced and, and better this year? So um, I mean, those questions still persevere. But it, look, if Joe Milton grabs this bull by the horns and the offense is clicking, the receivers are playing well, the defense is playing well. Yeah, I would feel really good about that nine-win pick, just about how the schedule shapes up. Again, Alabama and Georgia, those might be the two absolute losses on the schedule. But outside of that, I would expect Tennessee to win all the rest of those games. Last thing here, and it's not the only position. It's a team game, but it is the most important position in all sports. It's quarterback. It's, we kind of went through some of those there. Um, you know, Tennessee always struggles at Florida. So I'm not saying that's going to be a guaranteed win. But, uh, again, the quarterback position there at Florida right now, I just – I really like Tennessee's chances looking at it right now. 
Alabama just brought in another generational talented uh, you know recruiting class and they they've got years on years on years stacked on stack on stack but again you're going from Bryce Young to likely Ty Simpson and so there's opportunity there you know Georgia you're probably getting an upgrade talent wise at the quarterback right. position but you still lose a ton and then Kentucky even Leary from 2021 at NC State one of the better quarterbacks in the country so I feel like at least just looking at the quarterbacks there's so much opportunity for Tennessee you're not going to get them all I understand that um, it's just kind of a, it's unique looking at that position around the Southeastern Conference this year. Well, that's what's so fascinating, Eric, is we have so many good, talented quarterbacks coming back this year that we either full-time starters last year or, or part-time starters towards the end of last year. The two bro- programs that have the biggest question at quarterback are the two teams that everybody's going to probably pick as the favorites in the East and the West, and that's Georgia yep. and Alabama. <laughs> I mean, it, so it's kind of funny. Like you, all, you, you always think, oh, if you've got quarterback, you got the hardest part figured out. Alabama and Georgia got everything else figured out. They just got to figure out who's going to be their quarterback. But yeah, I think they'll settle on that, you know, sometime throughout the spring. I think we'll have a good idea on, on who those guys are going to be. But yeah, man, I mean, we look at the landscape of the SEC. Devin Leary's got a lot of skins on the wall coming to Kentucky. Graham Mertz had some success in the Big Ten, obviously. We'll see what he is at Florida. But Jaden Daniels back at LSU. Will Rogers back at Mississippi State. Yeah. KJ Jefferson back at Arkansas. It's a lot of good quarterbacks in the SEC coming back. And at least for Tennessee's um, you know, the, the the unfortunate situation of losing Hendon Hooker, at least you got Joe Milton's feet wet and you feel good about where he is coming into the season. Chris Gordy, locked on SEC, man. I, I say you're busy right now covering some hoops and spring football. What you got going on over there at Locked On SEC? Yeah, we're doing it all, man. Uh, we're, we're talking uh, all about the SEC teams uh, playing this weekend and then uh, still talking about spring ball. We got some teams that just started spring ball, some teams kind of in the middle of it. So, We're talking a lot more spring football here in these next uh, two weeks. Good stuff there from Chris Gordy. Really appreciate him stopping by the show. And uh, as always, I thank you for stopping by the show. Here on Locked On Balls, it is your first listen each and every day. It's a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks for making it your first watch on YouTube. If you haven't already, I know I say this every day, but please subscribe to the Locked On Balls YouTube channel. It helps me and it helps the show so much. Um, So please do that. If you have a YouTube account and you're not subscribed, please consider subscribing to Lockdown Vols on YouTube. If you like what you hear, rate me five stars on Apple Podcasts and go ahead and leave me a positive review. That that goes a long way as well. Guys, can't thank you enough. Uh, really, really do appreciate you guys. Uh, let's uh, let's try to get on Monday morning. We'll talk a ton of football and um, hey, we'll uh, we'll flip the script and and uh, head on out. Continue on with our off-season content for Tennessee football. That's coming up next, as always, right here on Lockdown Balls. <laughs>